strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Welcome to my latest experiment. This is the big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. I just want to relax. Nice little warm bath. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can hold this. Sarah Connor. Now look, carnage. Dead. Dead, dude. Well, what's fun about that? Quite sweet, really, aren't they? God, I love this street. No one. Hey, guys. Welcome back to 1954. I'm your host, Claire, of this showdown called Billy Claire's Excellent Adventures. We're going to get into the creature of the Black Lagoon. But first, let's meet our, let's meet my co-host and our partner, Bob. Hello. Dad, which is actually Bill. What is happening? Well, I'm back in 1954, man. Give your accents. Why do you think the <laughs> accent in 1954 is different than the accent now? Because. <laughs> so, um, you know Grammy? Yeah. Grammy was born in 1952. Oh. Does she talk like that? Also, why? what does birth year have to do with accent? Yeah. I don't understand. No. Well, no, I can understand a little bit because not to that extreme by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly vernacular language changes over time and... I think older generations speak a little bit more precisely and um, maybe use some different words and things like that. I just don't understand why Claire thinks 1954 is the hillbilly. Yeah, era. I'm not. I have no explanation for the that era I'm, of hillbillies. I don't know <laughs> because because a lot of the cowboy the cowboy movies that I watch were produced in 19, 1952 through 1955. A lot of the cowboy movies that you watched and were movies. produced I mean, in a three-year stretch in the 1950s. I don't know about the three-year stretch, <laughs> but I do feel like there were a lot of westerns in the 50s. I'll give her that sure, one. Sure, yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with that. Um, she's going to go nuts when we show her Oklahoma, though. Cause... What western movies from the 50s are you talking about, Claire? Um, we're learning about the, about the west, about the, um, about westward expansion. I believe that's the... 1850s, I know though. it's the 1800s, okay. but because we were doing that, I thought, well, maybe I should check out what the West, what the West, like in the area that they were moving to has grown over time. And I was like searching and stuff and the video showed up and it took me to YouTube and it was a whole bunch of clips of different, of different movies from then. Do you know what? This is totally off topic, but one of my favorite things that springs to mind immediately as soon as you start talking about Westerns, um, so one the of the hoedowns? Yeah, no, not the hoedowns. <laughs> one of the most famous um actors in westerns um was John Wayne. And um my cousin Corey when I was growing up was obsessed with John Wayne. Every time that we would hang out together, he would want to watch John Wayne movies. Um so I've seen like I think probably every John Wayne movie ever made. But there is a scene in a movie called The Birdcage, which I love, which is a modern movie. It's not a western, but there's a scene in that movie where two men are trying to teach this very effeminate, very fabulous, very flamboyantly gay man how to walk like a cowboy. And they say, you know, walk like John Wayne. And he does this really exaggerated, staggering walk that looks ridiculous. Um, and Nathan Lane, who plays the man, looks at Robin Williams, who's the other guy, who plays the other guy, and says, what, no good? And Robin Williams says, no, I just never realized John Wayne walked like that. 
Uh, but so you're sitting over here rambling about um, that, and I'm thinking about the birdcage, and neither one of us are talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon, so we should probably try to get back on topic. Well, I think if they had left, they'd left the girl alone at the end, Creature would have turned her into another creature. Okay. okay. Way to jump right to the end. Well, I don't think you have to give a spoilers warning for a movie from 1954, especially Creature from the Black Lagoon. I feel like even if you haven't seen that movie, it feels like you've seen that movie. Because it's a very popular movie that's been remade a couple times. Like on the disc, they made one for like Revenge of the Creature of the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. And there was another one. Yeah, there were there were two sequels to Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I would say that any like sea creature humanoid kind of monster in a movie is definitely inspired by the design work from Creature from the Black Lagoon. And you've definitely seen riffs on that movie and that character for the next, you know, 60 years. I mean, Shape of Water won a lot of awards when it came out and Guillermo del Toro really based their creature on Creature from the Black Lagoon, Gilman. I had never seen Creature from the Black Lagoon, but I have seen that iconic poster image of the creature swimming, holding her Mm -hmm. so much that I felt like I was very familiar with what was going to happen. And then as we were watching it, I was like, wow, this is not at all what I was expecting. (laughs) Okay, well, so we we are here today to talk about Creature from the Black Lagoon. This is going to wrap up Operation Universal Horror. If you haven't listened to any of our of our other Universal Horror episodes, I definitely go. recommend that you take a look at them. Now. And then go on to social media and tell Bill that he made a mistake in leaving out King Kong. Because I should have included Because that you in should this. have included King Kong. And What's I'm King still Kong? feeling a little salty about it. What's King Kong? Go ahead, Danielle. I mean, you're you're you were the one that's salty about it. So. Okay, so King Kong, which I'm like very certain came out before Creature, right? Because King Kong was in the 40s. Um, yes? I think King Kong was in the 30s, but it definitely came out before Creature. Okay, so anyway, King Kong is a film that is is kind of is similar thematically to Creature in terms of like the Beauty and the Beast idea. But so in this in King Kong, they're out on a scientific uh, expedition. So somewhat similar. Um, And there's one woman and a whole bunch of men. um, And they encounter an uh, indigenous tribe that has been isolated from um, any kind of modern technology or or people. And they witness them ritualistically sacrificing a human to a monster. And the monster is a gorilla that is as tall as a building, um, which is King Kong. And so these are scientists, so they're like, yes, we're going to capture this creature, we're going to take it back, and we're going to show everybody what we found, and we're going to be famous. Um, And King Kong, and then King Kong falls in love with the woman that is with them, and so the rest of the movie is either them trying to capture King Kong, or King Kong trying to escape with his bride. And um, it's, like I said, thematically fairly similar to... Um, creature from the Black Lagoon, but I love it, and it's a movie that I grew up watching, and my sister and I used to watch it, and then we would tie up our Barbie dolls, like the ritualistic sacrifice from King Kong. <laughs> well, Another I, dorky part of your life. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. So many dorky <laughs> parts of your life. Um, but now we don't have to show it to her, because you've just explained the plot, so... I'm still going to show it to her. <laughs> Now, though, but so, okay, so, but for Operation Universal Horror, if you haven't um, listened to other episodes, we have, uh, we did uh, Frankenstein, 
The Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman, and now Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Uh, just because we're uh, ending our initial dive into the Universal Horror Films, it doesn't necessarily mean that we won't go back to these movies. And it certainly doesn't mean that we can't go back and, and look at other horror movies that were going on at the same time. Um, so our, our next project will be um, a look at movies made by Alfred Hitchcock. And he was working at the same time um, that a lot of the Universal Horror Picture movies were made. Um before you know like through that entire era and then beyond i think most of the ones that we're going to look at from him are more from the 50s and the 60s i don't know i am a huge fan of the few hitchcock films that i've seen when i was like in middle school and we would have halloween parties we would always show psycho we loved the birds my middle school crew and i were obsessed with Frenzy, which I can't, you know, as a parent now in retrospect, I can't believe we were watching Frenzy in like seventh grade. Frenzy should be the fourth film maybe that we watch. You think so? It's pretty rough. <laughs> it's That's okay. It's intense. Um, I mean, Claire's seen Revenge. Like, That's uh, true. So. Yeah, but she didn't see... All of Revenge. All of Revenge. I mean, you watched it in middle school. I watched it in middle school and I wasn't scarred for life. But at any rate, the, my point was I never really branched out into his other movies very much i don't know why it's too long ago for me to remember but i have a strong suspicion it was limited by what films blockbuster had would be my guess probably i mean that's that's how most people saw things yeah uh, when we were growing up yeah the, the local video store had it you could get it if not how else were you going to get it i mean you couldn't even buy vhs tapes easily until the 90s i mean yeah well, and I do, I know for a fact we didn't own them. We rented them. So uh, my suspicion is that they those were the only ones that they had of his work, and that's why those are the ones that I've seen. But I never did like a ton of research into him as a filmmaker or anything like that. So I'm looking forward to um, that aspect of our deep dive into Hitchcock because I like to do the research before we have conversations about the movies, um, and I'm looking forward to learning more about him. Yeah. Uh, so this is a pivotal episode for us. I have been really proud of the work that we've been doing with uh, Operation Universal Horror. And the whole reason that we undertook this particular project was because of how excited we were, I think, as a group to sit down and watch Creature from the Black Lagoon. And so getting a chance to look at that today and now talk about it was really great. And I'm really excited to go through and look at some of the movies um from Alfred Hitchcock because you know I I don't really make any pretense I watch a lot of movies but many of the movies that we've watched um, are first time watches for me Um, I didn't see Psycho until two years ago all the way through I'd seen clips of it and so you know kind of this project for me is a chance to go through and fix some of the cinematic gaps that I have while also having a chance to then share those you know with you Claire so like I just continue to find myself excited by this stuff. And, you know, if we go back and we look at King Kong, like I think Claire's idea for um, looking at vampire movies through the ages, like looking at um, big creature movies through the ages is great. Like I, I would love to do a through line from King Kong to Jurassic Park, like just a series of movies to get from there all the way to uh, Jurassic Park. I think that would be great. Um, so there's a lot of different directions that we can go with our projects um, as we start to go through stuff and a lot of exciting things to look forward to. 
Um, but so today, we're here to talk about Creature from the Black Lagoon. And we're, Millicent Patrick. Yes, and, and Millicent O'Mara. Patrick and Mallory O'Mara. I'm glad you brought them up. So the movie was, um, Creature from the Black Lagoon was directed by Jack Arnold. And Bud Westmore, for 50 years, uh, really was kind of given credit for doing the design for Gilman, um, the suit, right? The look of it. But really, it was Melissa Patrick, but um, Ben is, I don't know his full name, but Ben. Bud Westmore. Bud Westmore what took, um, was so jealous when he was already giving the credits in the movie. Like, when you if you look at the whole credits, you would never see Melissa Patrick once. That's true. And so really what happened is he got her fired for making the design for him. And then he gets the credit in the movie for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Then she just disappears and nobody sees her again. And, and then and then Mallory O'Mara, she, um, she hears about the story after watching Creature of the Black Lagoon with some friends and is searching on the web for a while. I, I am not that far into the book. I'm like, a, I'm like four or five chapters in. I'm at the part where she's talking about how her how the how Melissa has some of Melissa's like grand family or something mm-hmm. like that the person who designed her the person's house is mm-hmm. like designing like a big mansion on the side. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, Brad and I went to the Chattanooga Film Festival and we had a chance to uh interview um Mallory O'Mara who was there talking about her book. Um if you want to go uh check out the book it's called The Lady from the Black Lagoon uh, by Mallory O'Mara, O-M-E-A-R-A. And um, I definitely recommend that you look at it. You know, it's it's an interesting story for Millicent Patrick. Like her, her, her like, you know, um, uh, Mallory digs into Millicent's history. And like you, like you were just saying, Claire, where you're learning, you know, her childhood uh, growing up in the construction of an American castle is pretty insane um and where she takes her career and and some of the unfortunate turns it takes when she doesn't get the recognition that she deserves for the work that she's done um she's remarkably talented woman and it was disappointing but i guess not too surprising that a guy running the you know production design for creature would take credit for work done underneath him and shuffle her off of the set when she started to speak up about it um, and so it's nice that she can get the recognition that she deserves right now because the Gilman costume was amazing. It, it is amazing. I mean, we watched, you know, we watched the movie today on on the 4K TV. I think that is one of the best costumes that has ever been made as far as like creature design work and stuff like that goes. I think it's amazing. I'd say that it is my the second most amazing because I've grown up with modern things and I've seen a lot of costumes, Uh but like, I think I'm not saying that Melissant or Mallory O'Mara is bad for, is bad for thinking that their creation is the best. Uh But I think that the, that the, that the Ray costume, that the costumes for star Wars are pretty amazing. (laughs) Because they I, yeah. go into so much detail on it, sure, and just amazing as she did. So you, so you like um, the Star Wars creatures designs the most out of all of the creature designs and creature movies you've seen. Those, those are the ones that you like. Yeah. Hmm. Which ones do you like in particular? I like the um, I like the Wampa costume. 
It's yeah. pretty cool. I like the um, Wookiee costume. That's really good, like how it is. I like the um, bears, like the little tiny bears. They, the costumes look like they're bears when they're really like creatures. So it kind of shows that they're creatures, that they're not bears, but then they have cr- bear-like features. Mm-hmm. I love it. But then one of these things is it is half a creature. And I know some people might beg to differ with me, but I think Palpatine is a creature. <laughs> and his costume is so good. Because, I mean, a creature is not able to grow his hands back in, like, five seconds. Sure. And he grew his hands back. Like, those costumes are great. Well, the finger growing back is most likely uh, visual effects work in a computer to help do the animation sequence for that. If you like that idea of growing costumes, what we should watch is um, An American Werewolf in London. There's a werewolf transformation sequence in that that is one of the best transformation sequences that I've ever seen in a movie. And and I, I think that might just be accepted as an objective fact. But the costume work that went into that is not a visual effect. It's all practical work done in camera. Um, and I think you might actually really dig that. Maybe maybe if we go back and watch a bunch of werewolf movies, we'll definitely put that on the roster to take a look at. You going to show her Wolf Cop? <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe. <laughs> wolf Cop, Claire, is this really silly werewolf movie that is funny. Um, it's de- It's one of those horror films that is trying to be funny, and it is. And they do a really impressive human to werewolf transformation in that movie that actually shows the man's penis transforming as well. And it's when your dad and I first saw it, we were like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, technically it starts with his genitals. So it's a weird movie. It is. Yeah. Claire, you've got this look on your face that's like, oh my God, my parents are the worst. My parents are the worst. I was happier when they were dressing as wampas. <laughs> you're, the, you're, like, it, you're like the embarrassing parents at my school. <laughs> well, we're parents, so that's our job. Yeah, exactly. Now it's not your job to be embarrassing. It's your job to be cool so that your kids could brag about you at school. Uh, what? You have no hope no. then because you're the child of two incredible dorks. Yeah. Well, my other friend is the is the child of a person who's always working at a comic con every like weekend. So, I mean, probably not that big of a dork compared to them. That's true. I've met those parents. They are they are bigger dorks than we are. But so yeah, I think the creature work in Creature from the Black Lagoon is pretty amazing. Definitely go check out Mallory O'Mara's book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon. I want to know how did they make his gills flare. I think that's probably one of the, I think, because they don't have computers to edit this. I bet what they did is that, is that they, he probably has like these little sticks inside of him because when his things go, you, you don't really see his hands moving. Uh, Well, I mean, that's kind of what I'm assuming too, Claire, is it's some kind of puppetry, but I don't know how they did it. I don't know where they hid the, the controls or whatever, because there's certainly no room in his suit for anything but him. I think there's probably like little tiny wooden sticks that go down to his arms and then he like kind of like slides his hands a little bit and then he goes. If it's puppetry and it's controlled by him, it, it would probably be some kind of jaw flex or something like that that yeah, would because... cause those to flare. And then a, like a wide opening of his mouth would cause maybe the mouth to open. But I don't know. I don't know how they did it. You know, later on, they will put in like remote control stuff 
so that um, a machine person puts the parts so that they're animatronic, and then that animatronic is placed on a person, and then they act while wearing it, and somebody else will do the expressions or the little uh, flange flares or whatever, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, but, I mean, number one, I don't know what the technology you know, was in 54 to be able to do stuff like that. But I feel fairly confident that whatever they had would not have been waterproof. Yeah, I agree. I think it has to be puppetry somehow. Yeah. And then, and then even just how impressive it is to be able to build that costume. I never saw anything that looked like a seam or, you know, um, (laughs) it's another Star Wars reference, but you know, like the, with the stormtroopers. You have the armor, and then you can see like the black bodysuit they're wearing underneath because they can't all be armor. Like I feel like a lot of times costuming is a little bit like that. Like you can see where there's something more flexible underneath. Sure. I never saw anything like that, and yet he was swimming in it. So and very gracefully too. So I I, I found that suit just incredibly impressive. It could be like probably originally a wetsuit that they probably went over with. I I mean it must be something like that, and. My guess would be it's also probably quite heavy. Because, like, he does swim gracefully, but, like, you can't swim that gracefully in, like, thing. If you if it was like that, it would probably be so heavy that you fell. So I think it has to be at least a little bit lighter than what I think you're talking about. And then, But then it also has to be some... T- it also have to originate it as a wetsuit or some type of full-body swimming suit. Because if not, there is no way. Yeah, and and you're right, Claire. I mean, it definitely can't be super heavy, especially given that they're going around underwater and all that sort of stuff. What I I think is really interesting is that, you know, there's a lot of underwater photography in this movie. And it's really easy when your two scientists have aqualungs, as they call them, later become uh, scuba, I guess. I don't know when that happens, actually. When does Jacques Cousteau invent the scuba tank? And... Uh, when does his acronym for it take off versus Aqualung? And why can't we have Aqualung? And why is Aqualung just resigned to a song with flute music in it from the hippies? I don't know. There are a lot of unanswered questions that I have right now. But what I am saying is that when your two scientists are going underwater with Aqualung, it becomes easy to shoot them underwater because they carry their own air with them as part of the story. But how do you get air to your gill man, who's now swimming around underwater quite a long time. Who never has any bubbles. I know. Like, I don't, I was, Claire and I were talking about this uh, before we started recording. Like, how do you even do that? Do you, does he hold his breath for each take? Or do they film it and he's breathing in a very measured pattern so that they can edit out everywhere he exhales? Like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, how do you do that? Um, just before we go on, since we're speaking about credit and, and what, what people get, um, the creature was played by Ben Chapman on land and um, by uh, Riku Browning uh, underwater. So, um, What are those two takes? Yeah, and I, and I don't really know what the reason for the difference is. I, I love the idea, though, of, of the direction being, okay, now you need to count to 10 over and over and over in your head. And when I say action, only exhale on the 10 count because then we'll all know and we'll cut those frames out. Just You're making fun <laughs> of me, but I don't... Because some of those, like... 
they're showing him swimming for an extended period of time. And right. I don't know. And doing flips and all kinds of things. Like, I really don't know how you could do all that in one breath. Claire, do you have thoughts? I said that he probably had like a bitty scuba tank. A mini scuba tank? I believe that... Because his back looks like it's a little poked out. Because in the seed, when he's, when he's like upside down, mm-hmm. I could see like his back was like a little humped. On on a side where there might be a scuba tank. I mean, I I tend to agree with Claire that there may have been room to hide a tank, a very small one, um, under that ridge, but that doesn't explain how he's not exhaling. Well, when I, while I was, I Googled, uh, how did they... Oh, so you cheated. (laughs) (laughs) How else would I do it? Well, I mean, you're not technically cheating because Google is not always right. That's true. Very good. Also, I'm just teasing. The whole point of this is to be educational, so it's kind of ridiculous that we didn't research, Claire and I. Well, so, okay, so the, the, the suit was made from the airtight molded sponge rubber, all right? So it's airtight, which means it can hold that. Now, if the suit is airtight, maybe this makes sense. But then Wikipedia says, in the underwater scenes, air was fed into the Gilman's suit with a rubber hose. So I I know that there was no hose connected to him while he was swimming around. And if the sponge rubber is airtight, then I feel like what they did is they blew up his suit like a little balloon. <laughs> and then he would breathe all of the air in the balloon. And it would be like, oh, man, we better get some more air in that balloon. <laughs> this still doesn't explain how he exhales, though. I don't know. <laughs> It's, I bet he just does it quietly, because if you listen, because sometimes if people aren't talking for a while, they could just do it, they are just so used to breathing out of their nose that they could do it super quietly, you barely even notice they're breathing. Well, but it doesn't matter how quietly you breathe if you're underwater, if you exhale. Still bubbles. Still bubbles, and there are no bubbles. It's really amazing. It is. Um, it's totally amazing. I do have a theory, though. You were talking about why they had two different people playing him. I have a theory about that. Because I was noticing as we were watching how long and lean and beautiful he was underwater. And I was uh, sort of wondering to myself if they hired like an Olympic swimmer or somebody like that to play him. um, Because those movements were just so. That's what I was saying. They probably hired someone with that's a way better swimmer than the person on land. No, I'm not going to say that not everybody's a good walker, but I think he's a more. But I think the how do you be a way better swimmer on land? No, I was saying the person who played on the on land creature mm-hmm. was like a was a more graceful walker and wouldn't trip as much when he was wet. I think he had more swimmers muscle are notorious for not being able to walk. That is true. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but they are notorious for being very lean, and the guy on land would have needed more muscle to uh, to haul around an unconscious woman like that. Yeah, maybe. Like the way that he was holding her straight out in front of his waist mm-hmm. is like the least efficient way to carry dead weight. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. So I guess I guess um really that entire conversation comes down to though that we all agree the creature costume work and the underwater photography that went along with the creatures is actually pretty fantastic. It is really fantastic. I was very impressed with the clarity of the underwater photography. Clarity? Clarity, yes. Uh, in this case, meaning transparent or obvious. No. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm to lie. I'm super obvious that I'm not lying because I smile. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, your dad told me uh, during in the very beginning of the film that that a lot of the underwater scenes were filmed in Wakulla Springs in Florida, which is near where we grew up on the water. I think that th- I don't know where they filmed the underwater scenes. My guess would have to be that they filmed underwater scenes in some kind of controlled environment because they're too well lit. I feel like to be anywhere else. I'm I'm not sure about that. Especially though. during mm, the night. But when she's because when they show um her swimming mm-hmm. and she's on the top, she's in either Wakulla Springs or um uh, more easterly Florida. Uh, I forget where the location was, but they shot in two on the water locations for that in Florida. Um, but when she goes underwater. It's a totally different shot. It's a totally different look. And I, I suspect that they changed locations again to wherever they shot under the water. But I don't know if they shot under the water in Wild or not. It just seems really light. I, I feel like they did. And I'll tell you why. Because not for all of them. There are some scenes where it's, where it's really just water um, that I could see that being in a pool or a tank or something like that. But in the very beginning when they're showing all the plant life on the ground. Mm-hmm. I thought, and and all the fish and all the rest of that, I thought to myself, man, this would be an incredibly expensive set to build, like that, just that kind of ecological variety. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, For example, I mean, him swimming on the boat scene where he was swimming underwater and coming up, and he was like, why is he under there for so long? And she was like, he was like, why, how long is he going to be under there? And she said, depends on how deep the what." says depend depends on how deep the pressure was on how deep he went mm-hmm. so i think what happened was i think they actually shot in a bay for that bay scene because there's no way you can make a bay look like that and such that would be a really expensive set to do that to for to a lake yeah. like that would be really rude to the environment because they were making the water mucky for their scene they probably just used a real bay also, I think the underwater scene where it's just water, I think they shot in like some type of like, I don't want to say pool or tank, but I think it's one kind of, one of those aquarium tanks. They're well lit and they're very clean water, but it really looks like they're out in the wild. So I think it's like some, like some gigantic aquarium. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's a couple of factors that go into it. If, if that's um, sponge rubber is airtight, it's super hot, uh, and I and I know at, at least that there were some issues with uh, Chapman overheating while he was wearing it. I mean, because if they if it's airtight, they're sealing him in that suit at the start of a shooting day, which means he's in that suit for ten, twelve, fourteen hours bare minimum. I would give him cold air. I I suspect that uh, I mean because Universal Studios, I feel like definitely has. Like and when we say tank, Claire, I mean it's it is a massive tank of water that they could shoot on, and I would suspect that at least a fair portion of those underwater scenes were shot in that tank. But how many of them, like with set design and stuff like that, would they shoot out in the wild? I don't know. I it, it's a good question. Well, the well, the point that I was trying to get to um, is I know from growing up there, and and I'm sure you remember as well, that Wakulla Springs is famous for crystal clear water. Yeah. Um, That is the springs where you can ride on the glass bottom boat, and Mm -hmm. the water is 20, 30 feet deep, but you can see the bottom through the glass bottom of the boat because the water is that clear. And that was when we were there in the 90s. So in the 50s, you got to assume even less boating pollution and things like that. So 
Um, the fact that they chose that specific site for for filming makes me think that they did do some of the underwater filming there. Um, That's a good of point. How beautiful it was. Yeah, well, because of the clarity of the water specifically. Because if you were just looking for that swampy, like uh, Amazonian kind of feel, you'd shoot in the Everglades. It would make more sense. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, in some scenes, they're probably in some type of marsh, but in most scenes, they're in crystal. They're in crystal clear water, like. They probably, for the scenes where he goes into that deep, where he goes into that deep, like, cave, underwater trench thing, they're definitely not in the, they're definitely not in that, in the... Yeah, I think the cave was probably some kind of... Because you can't see the bottom. And if it was crystal, crystal clear water, you would be able to see the bottom. And in some scenes, it's crystal clear, but then in other scenes, it's mucky. So I could kind of tell they probably shot in different locations. Oh, that's a good point. Or or put mu- or put mud or something in there, like in front of the camera, to make it look like it was dirtier. Because you, because it's not like they made any effort to make it look the same. They didn't. It look you can tell when it looks different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. And they, I mean, there's some. Um, um, topography on the bottom, you know, where he's going over ledges and hiding under things and stuff like that. And some of it is just clear sand and some of it is a lot of plant vegetation and some of it is, um, what I'm guessing are downed trees. Um, or downed trees. Uh, trees that have fallen into the water. Right. So probably cypress trees that have fallen into the water. You know, the other thing is Wakala Springs is super cold, like unbelievably cold water. I mean, even in July and August when it is oppressively hot outside of the water, that water is freezing. Um, so would anybody like, make any attempt to swim in it, even in when it's when it's like a hundred and twenty degrees? Oh, sure, I wouldn't though, because I think bodies of water should be ninety degrees before people get into them. Yeah, it is super cold. We used to um, we used to swim in a place called Econfina Creek, which is. Mm. Um, it's not it's not connected to Wakala Springs, but it's the same kind of water and Dude, and, and in North Florida and it is freezing. And it would be so hot that people were like, Oh, I don't feel good because we'd be canoeing, like I think I'm gonna pass out. It's it's hundred and ten degrees out here. Um, and you'd get in the water and they would turn blue and their teeth would start chattering. I mean, it is freezing cold water. I almost I, drowned in that water. Did you? Yes. I um we used to think it was fun to swim deep down to the bottom of the lagoons and look for the underwater springs because there were un- there were natural springs at the bottom of them and the water coming out of those springs was very hot and so it would mix with the super cold water and it would make like warm comfortable to swim in water but they were down really deep near the bottom of the um of the lagoon and I almost drowned at least twice that I can think of because I overestimated my ability to hold my breath. I just would pee in the water and then that would Ew, get a, a warm sensation. Rose. <laughs> All right. So I, I think we've talked enough about um, kind of the creature effects on this one uh, and, and justifiably spent a reasonable amount of time. Uh, oh, yeah. Talking about it, I but... think that's by far the the highlight of this movie. But what did you think about the story, Claire? Do you think the creature is a monster in this movie or do you think the uh, scientists are bad guys? Like, who's the bad guy in this movie? The boss. <laughs> Marcus. <laughs> do I mean, you think so? Honestly, I what think What makes him is, the bad guy? Because he's all, because he like threatened to kill a pirate that lived, that was in the, like that was there. 
and I'd be like, are you freaking crazy? They could have guns in their butt. You don't know. That's true. You never know who might have a gun in their butt. Yeah, I, I didn't know where that sentence was going to go, like- but I definitely <laughs> wouldn't have guessed there. <laughs> Was, it was actually kind of, to me, one of the most scariest movies because it was more suspenseful mm-hmm. than the other movies. Cause it was like, because in scenes, it would do like suspenseful music where the, one of them might die, but they never die. Well, until the end that where the guy gets killed by the creature, he don't die. So What I, what I found really interesting um, looking at this, uh, w- watching it today, was how close this movie is to a silent film by virtue of the fact of how much of it is underwater. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to rely a lot on suspenseful music and score and stuff in order to tell this story because the speaking parts are often few and far between. I actually think the movie might have been better as a silent movie because when they were talking so frequently it was sexist. (laughs) What? Oh well, yeah, sure, <laughs> like, sure. Loud oh my god! I didn't honestly. I didn't like the fact that all these movies, the girl was in danger the whole time, and the men had to go to save her. Like even at the Invisible Man, like we hated the movie and the editing. Like the editing was the best, but the movie was not that good. Like they even have a man saving the woman every time. Oh yeah, in all these movies. Even in The Bride of Frankenstein, the girl is saved by the guy. I love, it, there was there was an exchange where they're talking about, they know the creature exists now, and they're arguing about whether or not they should pursue it. And the guys go, uh, you know, science is always taking the remote chance, right? Which, first of all, that's yeah. not what science is. <laughs> like, I'm not a scientist, but I feel like that's not sciencing. If you're like, I'm going to take the remote chance. No. Um, that's not how sciencing works. Um, but research first, right? You do research first. Like you have some idea of what to expect. Like, right. Example, like if you're, it's an adventurer is to just go into it. If you're an adventure scientist, you would research after. No, that's exactly right. It's an adventurer is what they're describing. Right. And then, and then they do talk like adventurers in that scene. And they say, you, you can't go into the unknown with a woman. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) And I also loved when the entire boatload of men, just practically pee their pants, tripping over themselves to rescue Kay because she has swum in water that they have no reason to believe is dangerous, quote, too far from the boat, but she's still close enough to hear them call her name. Oh, yeah, when the boat captain freaks out, he's like, yeah. hey, Kay, you, you're too far you're away. You're too far. Start the engines. And they all run out. They're like, oh, God, <laughs> Kay, we're coming to get you. And she's like, I'm fine, guys. Yeah, but Just we, the living. viewer, know how much trouble that she could have been. And in fairness... But they don't. It, well, no, they well, don't. I mean, but They but, do know because they right before that scene, they had shown the scene where they're chasing the creature. Yeah, wait, isn't that after that thing bursts out of the net that she goes swimming in it? Yeah. No, it's before because she... No, they pull, it's not. No, it's No, not. you're right. You're they right, pull her out you're of right. the water and he pursues her to the and boat gets then in gets the caught in the net. Out. You're right, you're right. They didn't know. But still, when she got into the Amazonian River to just go for a dip, yeah. you and I both looked at each other and we're like, that's not a good idea. Yeah, but the river you shouldn't swim in is the Amazon. Totally because agree. Because there's per- piranhas. There's all kinds Amongst of things. things. The, the boat captain even makes a point of saying everything here will kill you. But, but I mean, my- it's not Australia, but come on. 
I know, but he does say that. <laughs> but but and they show several alligators on the way in. That enough is a reason not to swim in that water. But my point is their their objection is not that she's swimming. Their objection is that she's, she's swimming too, far, too far, which is what you say to a small child who's playing <laughs> in the ocean. Oh no, honey, you're too deep. Come closer. <laughs> what did you think about all that, Claire? I hate how in this movie, they're literally tripping over to save her. Like, half of the men are killed just to save her. Like, don't you think she could handle herself with the creature? Literally, like, if the creature hated, like, the creature was going to kill her, he would have killed her when he was swimming under her in the in the water. Because I was saying, she's going to die. She's going to die. She's going to die. And then I'm like, oh, the creature likes her. She's not going to die. She's not going to die. She's not going to die. Like, I was telling you the whole time that she was going to like something was gonna happen. I, my two favorite scenes in the movie. I think the best scene in the movie is the the shot where she's swimming. Creature is going underneath her, and the yeah, photography so for that cool. was awesome. So beautiful. But my, I think my favorite like um like script driven moment in the movie was where the dude is talking to Kay about how she doesn't have to marry her boss just because he gave her a job, and like his advice is like he's very like what no. Don't don't do any of that. And like for giving such reasonable free thinking advice to her, gets his face torn off by the creature from the Black Lagoon and spends the rest of the movie alive in bed, unable to talk and terrified as he is subject to being uh, the side uh, impact of a fight, fisticuffs and also of a return from the creature. Yeah, I that was bizarre. I also thought it was very strange in the in the very opening of the film before they've gone to the lagoon or encountered the creature. Kay and David are out doing their experiments, oh, right, yeah, right? And um, the guy says, hey. "Are you married yet?" And and they the way they talk about it makes it seem like they've been together forever. Oh yeah, yeah, I thought that too. And then they later on, for six months. They've only been together six months. I was like, what is happening? You kind of get why Mark's a little bit pissed because he's like, hey, we I've I've had this thing going with you. I felt like we were going along. This guy's only been here for six months. I've known you for years. Yeah, but it was so weird because the tension between the three of them is palpable, and all along I'm thinking that the tension here is that she and Marcus were together. Yeah. And then she left Marcus for David, who now works for Marcus, so it's super awkward. Come to find out, that's never. not what happened. Yeah, that dude's just a creep. She never had any relationship with Marcus at all, but she feels like maybe she owes it to him to marry him because he gave her a job? Like, Well, her, when ew. she's talking to David, as David's coming up on the boat and he's getting annoyed because Marcus is like, if you guys are done playing house, we have work to do. And David's like, oh, we're going to talk to this guy. And she straight out is like, no, nah, I've had that conversation a bunch with him. It is a waste of time. He will not listen. <laughs> Just yeah. live your life, dude. Yeah, exactly. You can't make Marcus act appropriately. It's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, 1954. Which is exactly. It's so 1954. Um, I guess what I what I would like to talk about, though, is, is Claire, did you think that the creature was particularly bad? I think. Was he a monster? I mean, yes or no, you say, which you think. No. no? Okay. Didn't we go into that brief conversation at Frankenstein where a monster is a person who's super evil, like like Dr. Frankenstein? Okay, yes, but the creature does attempt to rip people's faces off. I'm just saying. So, he's a creature who's getting revenge. Like, would you want to- Who started the fight between the scientists and the creature? Do you think- 
the creature started the fight or did the scientists start the scientists. fight? Scientists. They were the first. They were the ones who came in on his land mm-hmm. to search for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they stole his favorite fossil hand that yeah. he had <laughs> carefully mounted on the wall. Stop it. That's his grandmama's hand. Oh <laughs> they stole it from his memorial uh-huh. and took it away. And he was like, what did you take my grandmama's hand for? <laughs> Oh my God. And those, I think it's his wife. <laughs> those poor porters who were left behind to guard it took the brunt of his wrath yeah. because they stole his grandmama's hand. Is how I've decided. Wife's this. hand. <laughs> I what did I I like that David kept at every point trying to um, de-escalate the conflict where wherever he could take a, a pacif a pacifist sort of step he would. Make a move to de-escalate it. Are you sure? Because he does punch a guy harder than the guy punches him. Hey, look, that's what happens when you get a fight. That's that's just, and that actually is an interesting point because he he knocks Marcus out. Like he's look, I'm not gonna fight my boss, but my boss just punched me in the face, and also he says a whole bunch of crap they should about my girlfriend and me, and he knocks that dude out. But on the other hand, creature Gilman has killed multiple people in their camp at this point. And he's like, no, 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 come on, guys. We can let this guy go. He seems all right. It's it's not clear to me, honestly, that his attitude is pacifism so much as just a different perspective on his role as a scientist. Because I very much get the impression that his plan is to go back, design a better experiment, come back with more equipment and more people and, you know, more weapons and capture the creature because he wants to study him. I don't think his plan is like, look, this guy's been living here for, you know, apparently, right, apparently since like a completely different geologic era, like let's just leave him be. I I don't think that's what he's up to. I think he just objects to Marcus trying to mount him to the wall as a trophy. Which is exactly what Marcus wants to do with Kay. Marcus likes his trophies. Yeah. I I mean, it's an interesting movie. And I, I think that there's actually a pretty good story that's kind of going on there. It gets a little bit weird as it mashes up in between extensive underwater sequences and um, the short bursts of the above the water where you get a chance to see those characters develop. But I, I think of all of the universal horror movies that we've watched, this is one of my favorites. Yeah, I definitely think it was the most suspenseful of the ones that we watched. Um, I agree with Claire on that. I also was very much reminded in the very first scene where um, where Gilman is swimming underneath Kay and she doesn't know he's there. It, it reminded me a lot of Jaws. Like the yeah. tension where you see the shark or, or at least from the shark's perspective, you know that he's very close to the swimmers and they don't know that he's there and you're like, oh my God, I can't watch. I felt a little bit of that kind of tension. That was very interesting to me because I... I uh, was not aware of any film prior to Jaws doing that. I thought that Jaws kind of invented that, and it turns out, no. All of the best, most successful people have stolen uh, successfully from people who have gone before them. Steal everything you can. Have no shame. Steal from the greats. That's don't the steal most, from the average. It's the most capitalist thing you've ever said. I think... Well... I don't... I was <laughs> trying to say that, like, the creature is basically, like, taking revenge for littering. Like... <laughs> I because like the each of them did something bad to the water. Like the captain, he was polluting the water with the boat. 
they were putting spears and such into the water. And I thought for sure that every time he was getting close to Kay, he was trying to kill her because she threw a cigarette into the water. I thought that when she threw the cigarette cigarette into the water, she was for sure going to die. But it turns out he loved her so much that he drove past that. Yeah, it was good of him to get past her littering of his environment so he could kidnap her and make her his lady forever in that wet rock. None of which is any worse than what Marcus wanted to do. You're you're right. I, I think Marcus would not have been any better and I'm definitely much more sympathetic to the murderous sea creature than I am to that dude. But yeah, and um, we were talking a little bit about before, this movie's not a particularly romantic film, even though uh, human relations are definitely a major through line of the story. Um, But it does make me think that we should have a Fishman movie with more kissing and dancing and love and affection. And I almost wonder if instead of starting our Alfred Hitchcock dive next week with uh, Psycho, that maybe we should put that on hold for a week and watch uh, Shape of Water from Guillermo del Toro. I'm going to have to think on that one. We'll see. Um, But I really liked Creature. I I enjoyed that movie a lot. So I think it's a good note to end our current trip down the Universal Horror Lane with. Um, King Kong. Right, until we come back to it um and uh look at maybe king kong or some of the other universal horror movies there's a lot of other movies from this time period you know we've watched uh the major ones um but there are dozens and dozens of them that we could go through and watch some of them much better than others and some of them much worse than others and uh claire you said you wanted to do the outro for the episode so why don't you take it away Make sure to follow our Twitter page at B-A-C-E-A Podcast. And don't forget to check out the Chatcast and the the Marathon Special that they just did. (laughs) Um, Also, if you have any questions for me, just go on the Twitter page and ask. Or you could just, like, go on to Facebook and ask my dad or something or something like that. If you would like to ask Claire a question about her thoughts on movies or anything like that, you are always welcome to send us a tweet on Twitter. Uh, and if we happen to be friends on Facebook, feel free to ask me. I'm happy to read your questions on air. No problem. So make sure to leave us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell your friends about our thing because the more listeners we get, and I'm not going to say the more money we get because we don't make any money off of this. The more listeners we get, the more f- the more frequent we'll put out episodes to please you guys. Well, so. well, hold on, hold on. The more listeners we get, the more joyous we'll be as we record for you, you know, for free, all of this A-plus quality content. I Let's not increase the frequency of episodes. I'm exhausted already. No, I mean, like, we've been, like, a little bit behind on our episodes, but if we, but if, uh, our listeners how dare you get- we took a winter break it was planned we just didn't tell anybody about it <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah dads are the worst i know anyways this is my outro so by the way I just dug my tug out at him anyways we will see you guys for psycho or shape of water so peace out and hey if if you haven't gone and bought the book already Go buy Mallory O'Mara's book about Millicent Patrick, the lady from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. It's amazing. Mallory O'Mara, when you listen to this, your book is amazing. 
and let's edge it on a Valerie O'Bara note. She's so the best. Peace out like Valerie O'Bara. <laughs> All right.